Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This sermon from Sunday, September 18th, continues our Into the Wild series as we explore the next chapter in the Exodus story, Moses and the Burning Bush. And I, I appreciate uh, uh, Don saying that this will be a fresh drink of water for good preaching, but if it's bad preaching today, I, my mother-in-law was here, and she said, you can blame me and everybody will understand. <laughs> she said that before she left this morning because she was asking, how's the sermon prep going? I was like, yeah, it's still kind of floating in the air a little bit. And she's like, well, just say your mother-in-law was here, and they'll just be like, oh, we understand. <laughs> So I hope she's watching on her drive back to Iowa uh, to hear that. So uh, we've been going through our uh, series Into the Wild, and we've been going through Exodus lately. And uh, the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Don has talked about the midwives uh, that helped birth, uh, bring Moses out, and um, midwives, and, and how change can be painful sometimes. Transition is never easy. And then last week, uh, he preached on what gets drawn out of the water, the story of Moses in the basket and, and saved from the water. I, he could correct me later if I just butchered the summary of those sermons, but uh, that's kind of where we are now. As you heard the scripture, we're at the story of Moses and the burning bush. And so the, what I want to say, though, is there's, there's a couple of things that happen in between last week and this week's story. Moses uh, was living in Egypt, and he saw an Egyptian uh, beating a Hebrew slave, and so he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the desert. Later on, was, people were finding out, so he fleed Egypt. All right? He fleed Egypt. Then he found this, uh, uh, this priest, and he had daughters, and he helped them, and then he married one of the daughters, and now we're here at the story with the burning bush. So Moses is out of Egypt, he's fled, he did something wrong, now he's kind of in exile. He says he's a foreigner in a strange land, and he comes across this burning bush. This burning bush is a definitive moment for Moses because it's a moment that's going to change everything forever for him. It's a moment that we can often have in our own lives, this burning transformation moment, this moment where we know beyond this moment, nothing's ever going to be the same ever again. And he has a choice here too. Is he going to listen to God? Is he going to follow God into what God's calling him to do? Or is he going to stay and the comfortable life that he has built. We also see that Moses has kind of matured a little bit. He isn't so impulsive, where the story where he killed the Egyptian was impulsivity, and now he's a little more measured and kind of thinking about it, thinking it through. Most often we talk about this story as we, we preach on the idea of holy ground, right? That this is the thing that gets pulled out of this story, but uh, that specifically, though, is God awakening Moses to the fact that everything is holy, that where he's standing is holy, wherever you stand is holy. And so I want to look at it from a different angle today, a different angle that Moses has changed. Moses has grown and matured. He's done inner work. 
he's a different person than he was when he left Egypt. And now God is calling him to something bigger, something that is going to be hard, something that may put him in danger, something that may, may, he may receive criticism and ridicule for. It's not going to be easy to go to Pharaoh and try to free the Hebrew slaves. It's not going to be easy to talk to Pharaoh. So then he starts asking God, coming up with kind of these excuses a little bit. They're questions, but they're also excuses. It's like, well, who am I to do this? Why would you pick me? I'm not right for this. Then God tells him, well, I'm going to be with you the whole way. Then he says, why should, who should I say sent me? Who should I tell them? Do I tell them God? Are they going to believe that? What's the name I should use? And then God says, I am. Tell them I am sent you. Isn't this the same thing we all do when there's moments in our lives of transformation that we start making excuses? That we see that this, if we make this movement, if we make this decision, things will be different. So then we're like, well, I couldn't really do that. I'm not the right person for that. Somebody else should do that. When we make big changes and we put ourselves in a place that seems to be difficult and putting ourselves in the crosshairs, that's when we really try to keep our comfort and make the excuses. And when we become comfortable with our own personal transformation, when we've grown, when our inner life has grown deeper in our faith in God, we feel like we've arrived, that we've come to a moment that we're good. So if God is calling us to something that's going to jeopardize that, our first instinct is to say, no, I'm going to stay right where I am. I've worked hard already to get here. I don't want to mess it up by going out there and putting myself in harm's way. This story to me is showing us that our transformation shouldn't begin and end only with you, with myself but it should extend into how we live, interact, and serve others in our world. And I think a good example of this comes from John Ortberg about a common misconception in our Christian culture about what transformation looks like and means. And he talks about it as boundary markers. And boundary markers to him is more about conforming to cultural requirements, which means... We all, we all have different cultures all throughout the country, right? Midwest has a different culture if you go out there than they do here. Castle Rock has a different culture than downtown Denver. And Christians have a different culture in different denominations and traditions. And each one has their own guidelines or rules. So he's saying those are the boundary markers. That's not actually showing us transformation, but we think it is. We have this twisted around that we think these boundary markers show transformation. When we feel like others aren't making those boundary markers, aren't meeting them, uh, then we begin to ridicule them. They have to make that step to meet those boundary markers. An example that he gave about this is if there's a pastor that is very uh, prideful, a pastor that is kind of overbearing, we oftentimes are just like, oh, that's just them. But if the pastor is a smoker, he's out. Right? That's the boundary marker. It's like, that's okay, but this is not okay. It tends to be things that people see. It tends to be things about image. And we often do that with a lot of people that we follow and, and leaders, that we think that we can let a lot of things slide, 
But once there's this one thing, well, that's over, over the line for me. Those are the boundary markers he talks about. Boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamics remain the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for the boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. Transformation is something that's actually going to change how you live and see the world, how you treat others, what the things you engage with. The boundary markers are just ways for you to look good, ways for you to feel good about what you're doing. But real transformation puts you in positions that feel compromising, positions that feel a little dangerous, positions that feel like, oh, somebody's going to get so mad at me. Somebody's going to send an email to me later this week about what I said. Things like that, or I could lose my job, or, or my family will be upset with me. That's real transformation. Real transformation makes us uncomfortable. It changes how we, how we treat everyone else around us, how we live in the world, how we enact with social change. We start to see people more as people instead of objects. And when we're just living into boundary markers, it's more about people following the right rules. My rules, your rules. So what's transforming you changes how you live and interact and serve with others. If we start to read the Bible and we interpret scripture, we interpret our faith, our life as a way that we begin to scrutinize other people more than we scrutinize ourselves, then I think we're doing it wrong. I think it should always start with us first, our inner life. We know that we have done wrong, that we, we oftentimes do the wrong thing, that we choose comfort in ourself over others and God. But that's the amazing thing about the God we worship. There's grace, love, forgiveness. And that we should also practice those same things to others because we have received it first. I think of a couple uh, different ideas or illustrations to kind of talk about this. Uh, and of course, one of them has to do with movies. Uh, and then the other one's gonna be a little more personal. So we'll start with the movie. Um, also, somebody mentioned to me during passing of the piece that they're like, last week, didn't you wear a purple shirt? I said, yeah. I'm like, that's the Vikings colors. So now I'm blaming myself for last week. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, we're going to talk about Tony Stark slash Iron Man. And I've wanted to talk about this for a long time because uh, after... I, how many of you have seen a Marvel movie? Raise your hand. How many of you have seen all the Marvel movies? Raise your hand. Okay, so there's... <laughs> I'm going to have to fill in some gaps here. All right. So after uh, Avengers Endgame came out, uh, I started thinking about Tony Stark's journey and how that is, that should be the journey of the Christian, the transformation that Christians go through. That at the beginning, when we meet Tony Stark in the first Iron Man, he is a selfish, prideful, narcissistic person. It's all about him and what he can do. He sells, he sells weapons, but he doesn't care where the weapons go. They can fall into enemy hands. He'll sell it to anybody, right? 
There's no real moral compass. It's just about him and making money and living that lifestyle. And after Iron Man and the first Avengers movie, he kind of makes a movement to kind of sacrifice himself. This is the first time you see him really stepping out and doing something bigger for others, not just him. The story between then was, was him just kind of dealing with this idea of him being a hero, but he was still kind of stuck in this selfish mode. But then after the first Avengers into the second one, uh, as he's, he's going through this idea of like, well, now I have a bigger responsibility to protect others, to care for others. Then he thinks, well, I need to do this. I need to create an armor that protects the whole world because the first Avengers, there's aliens. It's always aliens that attack Earth, right? And so he wants to do something to prevent that. But he ends up making things way worse. He creates the robot, the murderous robot, Ultron. He creates an AI that uh, decides that actually the problem in the world, all the issues we have, it's because of humans. We should just wipe them out. And so his good intentions and his growing and maturing, his transformation is helping him think about others and step out, but then he does it slightly wrong. Then after they save the day, uh, he begins being a mentor for Spider-Man along the way. And it's a way for him to also heal his own relationship with his father, his broken relationship with his father. It's him trying to change things for somebody else that he wished he would have had when he was younger. See how that transformation is, keeps going, keeps changing? Now it's not just about him, but he's trying to prepare other people and take care of other people. And then he's, he's with Spider-Man, and Spider-Man, uh, the big, uh, I don't know if I need to spoil, uh, the movie came out in 2019 and 2018, those two movies, so that's far enough out that I'm sorry if I spoil it for you. So uh, there's a moment in Infinity War, they're battling this big bad guy called Thanos, and he wants to wipe out half of the population in all of the universe because he thinks that's going to fix all the problems. We are overpopulated, and we just need to get rid of half of everything. And so Spider-Man becomes one of those that gets dusted away. And that haunts Tony for a long time, until we come to the last movie, where all of this, all of the story of Tony Stark is coming to this point. All this time where he begins as this selfish narcissist and transforming from story to story, movie to movie, to a point where now he's in a position where he gets to be the person to sacrifice everything to save everyone. So the person that started this story is completely different than the person ending this story. He gives his life to save others. That he has now completed the transformation of totally becoming selfless and caring and enacting justice for others. So that's Tony Stark. In my own life, I think there's been... Uh, you know, in seminary, I remember my pastoral care class, our professor telling us that uh, when you start ministry, when you're a pastor, you should pay somebody to listen to you. <laughs> Meaning you should go to therapy, right? Because you're going to be holding other people's troubles. You're going to be holding other people's grief, sorrows, joys. 
all the different things that go on in a congregation. So I didn't take that up until probably five years after seminary, something like that. And it was to a point where I had such bad anxiety that it was affecting my life. This actually probably happened during the pandemic. I think a lot of us experienced and discovered our anxiety during the pandemic. So I started seeing a therapist and uh, working on the inner life, the things that I had going on, where the anxiety was coming from, where it was stemming from, the triggers for that, and it has completely changed the way I live in the world now. It has changed the way I have treated other people. I like to think now I have a little bit more patience, a little more grace for others, a little more empathy, understanding where people are coming from. Knowing that sometimes if people get upset or people are uh, wanting a particular thing within church and they don't feel like you're meeting it, that is not always about you, but something they're also holding. So it's helped me to be more generous, more patient, more open to those around me. Transformation does that. That inner life, that inner transformation helps us to live more in the world and to, to work for our neighbors more than ourselves. That's what it can do. That's where it should go, right? I could have just said, well, I feel better now. You need to work on you type of thing, right? It's easy to be, it's easy to get really... Uh, not the right word, maybe pompous is the right word or something. When you go through therapy and you learn these things, you could just be like, oh, you should go to therapy. You should learn this. I learned this. Uh, you become kind of a know-it-all. That's the word I'm looking for. You become a know-it-all. Because when we gain information, we, we think we know better, but information is useless unless it's changing us. And I think when we think about our inner life and transformation, and then also think about uh, social transformation, as Allie was talking about having all the teachers and kids up here, that that changes lives. All of us could probably think of a teacher in our background, our past, who affected us deeply, whether it was in school or it was Sunday school. So we can change and help transform others as well. And one of these things is, I, I, I hardly ever do this, I don't like doing it, but there's something that a uh, um, kind of famous pastor said that, that bothered me because I don't think it hit the mark quite right. Uh, and I don't like doing it because I don't want to give a bigger platform for something that's wrong, but I'm going to correct it, all right? So, um, and some of you may know this because you may have a MacArthur study Bible. Uh, it's a big, big study Bible a lot of people have. So he said recently, when the gospel changes your life, you go from social issues to spiritual issues. This bothered me in a way because it's like, to me, I, I can read the beneath context. I know what he's actually saying without saying it. This has more to do with politics than anything. It doesn't really have to do so much with faith because to me, actually, when the gospel changes your life, social issues are spiritual issues. All of it is holy. All of it is spiritual. All of it connects. All of it should matter. We keep 
compartmentalizing these things and saying, well, this isn't Christian, this is a, this is a secular thing, or this is, uh, this is a Christian thing over here. We, we don't deal with social issues in the church, we deal with spiritual issues. Well, that just feels like you're kind of ignoring it. You're making excuses like Moses was. But when the gospel changes your life, how your neighbor lives, how your neighbor is affected by things, bothers you. It changes you. You want to help those in need. You want to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we do here at New Hope. That's the main thing we want to keep in front of everybody at all times. To love God is to love your neighbor as yourself. Serving your neighbor, serving loved ones, serving the stranger that you may not agree with is worshiping God. And we get stuck in these modes in our lives. We get stuck in these, these places where we feel like, I don't want to interact with that person. They drive me nuts. Or, that, or they are very much against everything you stand for. But that doesn't change anything because Jesus told us to love our enemies. So whether you're a person that doesn't want to interact with people of a different political affiliation than you, a different uh, Christian tradition than you, a different religious tradition altogether, maybe you need to rethink what's going on in the inner life. Something's not working in here. The relationship with God isn't working quite right because when this when this heart is changed, that's going to change how you treat others and advocate for others. So these are a couple of things I think that could cultivate this burning transformation in you and, and how you live in the world. First of all, let's drop your agenda. I think one of the things uh, the last couple of months I have uh, an answer I've given to people with Russ retiring. Uh, people often ask, what's your ambitions for ministry, Jordan? Do you want your own church one day? Are you going to leave us? That's the common question. And my, qu- my answer has always been, I never would have thought I would have ended up where I am now. So it seems foolish of me to make plans for later. But only to follow God and where God's leading me. I never would have expected growing up in small town farming Iowa that I would end up in suburbia Colorado, in Castle Rock, at a PCUSA church, a Presbyterian church. You guys are okay. That's good. So much so that I am now Presbyterian. So I never could have in my wildest dreams dreamed up how my life has gone, and so now I'm, I'm perfectly content to drop my own agenda and to follow God and where God leads me. Prayer is another one. It helps center us on something larger than ourselves. It helps transform our heart to see the world as God sees it. It's not so much about asking God to change things, but it's we're asking God to change us. And through all of that, seek first the kingdom of God. That's the biggest thing that's going to transform how you see others, how you see social issues, how you see politics, how you see all kinds of things in our world. Because it's no longer about this tribe or that tribe, but now it's about something larger than that. Sometimes the kingdom of God is not going to match our political identity. Sometimes the kingdom of God isn't going to match our comfort. 
Sometimes the kingdom of God doesn't match the ways in which we think we should treat our neighbors. It challenges us. It makes us uncomfortable. But that's for a good reason, to bring heaven to earth now, to be part of the restoration of all things, to partner with Jesus Christ in restoring things that are broken. I think that's a good place to start. It's a good place for our transformation to begin, is to drop your agenda, pray, and seek the kingdom of God first. Amen? Let us pray. God, may you be with us this week. May you find ways to to poke at us, to challenge us, to make us uncomfortable in good ways, ways that we can see your kingdom before us, ways that humble us, ways that help us to understand where you want us to go. Be with us today as we celebrate together, as we, as we celebrate the mission that you have given New Hope to uh, be a place where we put people first, to, build a, to find a home, build a life, and make a difference as we see all of our ministries and the ways they make a difference in our community. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.